Our Old Testament passage today begins in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, notice, by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you just to notice something here. When the people have needs, they complain to the leaders. And they actually have quarrels with the leaders. Now, the problem is the need. All right? All right, so the problem is the need. Now, the people saw it as the leader's responsibility to provide everything for them. This is called slave mentality. When, when you think it's somebody else's responsibility to provide for you, that is not a Christian mentality. That is a slave mentality. It is nobody else's responsibility to provide for you. It's not the government's job to provide for you. That's God's job. The job of our Heavenly Father is to provide for us, not a pastor, not a government official, not your boss at the office, but, but people always want somebody else to be responsible for their need. So Moses cried to the Lord. Here's the leader's response. This is the best thing a leader can do when people start complaining because of their needs. Moses cried out to the Lord. What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there at the rock, on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Okay, hey, if God's here, where's the water? Okay, if God's with us, why is there water? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, now the, notice they were attacked. Israel did not go attack these people. They attacked them. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose first men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Notice the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on the one side, one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and the people with the sword. Now, brothers and sisters, every leader has limited strength. Now, you, you don't like to face that when you're young. 
Okay, but even when you're young, there are limitations to your strength. Now, when a leader's strength runs out and they can no longer do what's necessary to bring victory to the people, what is, what's the response? Do, do you discard the leader? No, you get some people to help hold up his hands. And because Aaron and her were willing to help hold up his hands, they had a great victory that day. They weren't saying, oh, you're too old now, Moses. We'll take over. No, they, they held up his hands, and God brought a great victory. Now, I don't teach this to you because I'm getting older. I taught the same truth to you when we were you know, in our 20s. Remember, I've been your pastor 41 years now. But the truth is always the same. There have been older men that I have held up their hands as, as they have gotten older because I saw their strength was failing to do something. So I, I stepped in and held up their hands, but never usurping them and, and never in any way embarrassing them. Men, my wife, as my wife says, men have their male dignity. Men have their, their male ego. So never embarrassing them, but just quietly making sure that they had the strength, and I assisted them with the strength that was necessary to do what needed to be done for the people of God to be blessed. Now, as I get older, young men will gather around me, and a little hard on a guy's dignity at first, but young men will gather around me. I'm still young, but, you know, the younger ones will gather on me, and they will begin to carry a load that, okay, it needs to be carried for the people to have victory. But they won't say, Pastor Summerall's too weak now. Well, no, not if, not unless they got a rebellious attitude, okay? You always got these little rebels, but, you know, there'll be errands and hers. And this is what's necessary. Some of you young men in family businesses, you watch your dad and you realize, you know, your dad doesn't have quite the strength he used to have. He doesn't need to be replaced. You need that wisdom and you need the anointing that God has placed upon his life to lead that family business. But right now, God praises you for your strength. Remember, young men, God praises for strength. So you step alongside your dad and your mom and help hold up their hands. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek under the sun. Why? Because they attacked. Now, you know what I've noticed in my short life? When there are people that attack you, and you've never done anything to them except be good to them. You always wind up looking around one day and realizing, you know what? They're gone, and nobody even remembers them anymore. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's his people, and how that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Sephora, Moses' wife, after he sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one of them was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped on the mountain of God. Now notice, family protected during confrontation. Moses' family was protected from Pharaoh and from the others during this confrontation because that would be a weak link. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, 
came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tents. And notice, respect. Now, notice, when Moses was working for his father-in-law, he respected him. And now that Moses was leading a nation of a million people with an army behind him, he still showed respect for his father-in-law. See, respect doesn't change because of your success. <laughs> you need to get a hold of that. Respect does not change because of your success. Respect comes because of your own heart. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now, that's, that's important, for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Okay, now there's a great testimony. All right, what God had done for their sake, the hardships they had been through, and how God delivered them. It wasn't all victory. There were some hard days, but let me tell you what God did. That's a good testimony. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Wow. They dealt arrogantly. How Israel was treated. Now notice that. I know that the Lord is greater because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now you ever want to come up against God? You're going to come up against God when you treat God's people arrogantly. Hmm. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses had to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. From morning till evening. So Moses was a hard worker. Then Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, and he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire, come to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You... And the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So, okay, it's good to be a hard worker, but it's also good to work smart. Now, if you learn to work hard and smart, then you can really be successful. But Moses had to learn here. You know what? I gotta, I've got to learn to delegate. I've got to learn to trust. And, and this, this takes trust, all right? Now, obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, all right? Your focus as a leader. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make known to them the way in which they must walk and what, what they must do, all right? So, one, two, Three, four. Four responsibilities for Moses. Moreover, number five, 
He said, look for able men from all the people, not, not just a group of the people. Do the, look, look, look among all the people. Don't, don't, don't leave groups untouched. Men who, number one, fear God. Number two, who are trustworthy. Number three, hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. All right, so we have delegation based on ability, and we have delegation based on responsibility. All right, this person can handle 10, this person can handle 50, this person can handle hundreds, this person can handle thousands. But the thing that you look for in everyone that you delegate leadership to is they respect God, they're trustworthy, and they hate a bribe. Those are three things that have to be have to be present in every connect group leader, in every fellowship executive. Now notice able people. So they're able people. So let's back up and call call that number four, but it should be number one. All right. So we have capability, and we have respect for God. We have trustworthy, and we have hate a bribe. This is what should this is what should be clear in every level of leadership in the church. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. All right, so we have limits of responsibility and authority. It will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you then you will be able to endure, and also this people will go to their place in peace. All right, so Moses, you will survive, and the people will have peace. In other words, the people will have all the, the strife and problems. Okay, the people will have their needs met. Let's put it that way. They, they, they needed solutions to their disagreements. They'll have that, and you'll survive. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able people out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now again, notice we have four things that are necessary. Ability, respect for God, trustworthy, and they hate a bribe. They don't just not accept bribes, they hate a bribe. These are are four things that are very strong necessities. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case, all right, great matters, they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and they went away to his own country. Now, here is one of the greatest sets of teaching on delegation delegation of authority. As a businessman, you need to really sit down and dig through this. This will help you understand you can't do everything yourself, but neither can you trust people that are not trustworthy. <laughs> and you know what? People change too. So you know, I think they call that risk assessment that goes on in the business world today. You, you have to understand, all right, have they changed? So People who respect God, they're trustworthy. They just don't not accept bribes. They hate bribes, but also they have capability. They can't just be in, you know, there's a lot of honest people out there that are not very capable. Okay, they need ability also to go with all of these good virtues. They need some ability to go with the good virtues, and both are necessary.
All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Touched me with your loving. 
touched by the living one, the first and the last. You've been there from the beginning, enthroned at the sea of glass. Your voice is like a trumpet, your face shines like the sun. Your eyes are like a blazing fire, faithful, righteous one. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you should care? Yet you touched me with your loving hand, saying, A New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Now remember, this is during the first Holy Week. Jesus left the temple and was going away. 
when one of his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered, You see all this, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, all right, so they've crossed the Kidron Valley. So if this is Temple Mount, this is the old city of David down here, and this is the area where a lot of people lived, and this area was developed also, but this would be Temple Mount. They would have crossed through the Kidron Valley, and now they're over here on the Mount of Olives, all right? As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. Now, first of all, I want you to notice here, not one stone left upon another. Part of the fulfillment of this would have been in 70 AD when the Romans burned the city and they pushed every stone off of Temple Mount. Temple Mount was flattened. In fact, when you go with us to Israel, with one of the underground tunnels that we always take each year. You'll come up out from under the ground, up right alongside the old wall of the Temple Mount. And you'll see these giant stones just look like they've been thrown down from above. And they had been. That's what the Romans did in 70 AD. Now, the prophecy that's about to unfold here is not only partially fulfilled in 70 AD, it also will teach the Jews how to live during the Great Tribulation. Okay, so some of this is the teaching for the Jewish people after we leave here. This is the Great Tribulation. Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come into my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. All right, so he's saying, listen, there's going to be a lot of this stuff going on. He said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be, not there might be, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now notice the phrase birth pains. The entire creation groans awaiting its redemption. All of this, the famines, the earthquakes, the nations, the wars, the rumors of wars, all of this is just the beginning of the birth pains. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So he said, hey, there's some days of trouble ahead, folks. There, there are days of difficulty ahead. He said, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. All right, so three things that we have to see happening among God's people as prophesied by Jesus as we move toward the end times. We see a falling away. We find betrayal. And we find hatred among believers. These are things that we see in the last days. And we see false prophets will arise and will lead many astray. False prophets leading many astray. You know, you, you see these people coming up and, you know, they, they got some new little revelation or they've got something that they claim that God spoke to them and they're just trying to draw away people after themselves. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, because of because rebellion 
And that's what lawlessness is here. He said, because rebellion is on the rise, the love of many will grow cold. Now, why is that? Because you're on fire for Jesus, and then you hear all of this rebellious talk against leaders. And it does have an effect upon people's hearts. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So Jesus taught Gentile evangelism. And then the end will come. All right, so we must touch a world before the end. We must touch a world before the end. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. All right, now we're in the second half of the tribulation. That's when the abomination of desolation, the statue of the Antichrist, is put in the holy place. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go back down to take what was in the house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Now, I want you to notice, when this statue is set up, Jesus tells the people, get out of Jerusalem, flee. So at the, at the mid-year point of the tribulation period, when this statue is set up, you and I will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But remember, I told you in, in the I taught you in the, the Romans series that the rapture, when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, that's when the hearts of the people of Israel begin to grow softened. I think the rapture is going to have a tremendous effect on Jewish people's hearts toward God and toward the things of God. That's and then the tribulation period begins. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, Jesus has told them, and I, I think you're going to find a lot of Jewish people reading the words of Rabbi Jesus during the tribulation. He said, flee, get, go, don't, don't even go back to your house, because they're going to start killing Jews big time in Jerusalem at the, at the mid-year point of the tribulation. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be. All right. Now, the tribulation really gets bad in that second half. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the Jews, those days will be cut short. Now, you have to understand that seven-year tribulation, especially the last three and a half years, is going to be the most devastating time that humanity has ever seen. The earthquakes, the plagues, I mean, it's, it's going to be total devastation. All of those all of those woes and things in the book of Revelation that we read about last December, it's going to be devastating. He said, if those days, and this is Jesus talking, if those days had not been cut short, notice, if those days had not been, past tense. See, God has already got this planned out because God knew no human being would, would live. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. All right, so, you know, you're going to see people do miracles that, sorry. And the purpose of it, 
to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So just because somebody sees miracles doesn't mean that they're from Jesus. See, I've told you beforehand. This is, this is one of Jesus' warnings, all right? The warnings of Jesus. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be a boom. Here it comes. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the suns will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then... Notice then, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is prophesying about the second coming. And he will send out his angels with a large trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. (laughs) Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus... It's going to be wonderful to see all of this. All right, one more passage today. As we finish up, we always like to end with a little bit of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when hunger. Now notice, so attitudes are mitigated by need person steals from you and they're hungry you know what if you're like me you'll probably just go ahead and go buy him some food all right i mean i've read of some policemen here lately who they they saw a man stealing food no excuse me not a man they saw a woman stealing some food and the policeman saw and said why are you doing this and she said i have no food for the children at home so a couple of policemen now here's a good story about police but a couple of policemen went back into the store got a whole bunch of food for them, and gave her the sacks of groceries to take home to her children. So we we do have different attitudes when people have a need. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold, and he will give up all the goods of his house. So there still has to be (laughs) recompense. Okay, there still has to be retribution. There still has to be consequences. You know, you're... You can't just go around steal because you have a need. But now he really zones in. He said, he who commits adultery lacks sense. I believe it's the NIV that says he's stupid. And I know we don't like that word, but it's a good word. He who commits adultery lacks sense or stupid. And he who does it, commits adultery, destroys himself. All right, now you're going to have to get a hold of that. You know, sexual sin... has consequences. And people always say, well, you know, it doesn't affect anybody but the two people having it, but it says, you destroy yourself. He will get wounds and dishonor and disgrace will not be wiped away. Wow. So we have wounds, we have dishonor, and we have disgrace. So in other words, your reputation is going to be destroyed by your sexual immorality. 
Now, I, young people I know, young men, you know, if a guy's having sex with women, he's considered macho. But you're going to have to understand, no, 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 no. It destroys your reputation. Dishonor. Disgrace. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply the gifts. When you go out and have, commit adultery with another man's wife, you know what? He's going to hate you forever. And he will make sure everybody else hates you forever. So can I please encourage you? And, I, and I, I'm just going to say it straight up like my daddy taught me. Keep your zipper up. Okay. I mean, just stay away from sexual sins in Jesus' name. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into the book of Romans.